I am Zarina Dimitrova, a strategic partner and mentor to businesses in the process of transformation. Join me on Grow and Learn as we explore a range of topics from personal development and career advancement to relationship building and financial management. With practical advice, inspiring stories and expert interviews, we'll give you the tools you need to thrive in every aspect of your life. Join us as we share insights and strategies that can help you achieve your personal and professional growth objectives. Welcome to Grow and Learn, my friends. I'm Zarina, your host. I'm welcoming today an executive, C-suite executive and a motivational speaker. She's known all over the southern part of the U.S. and that's a huge area. Victoria Peltier, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good Happy to, to be here. <laughs> Good to have you, Victoria. You've, uh, you've made a name for yourself talking about diversity, motivating, inspiring people for the past 20 years. You've had career success from a very early age. Can you tell us a bit more about how this came about, how your early career started? A bit of your yeah, story. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to. And I hail, it's funny you say success in the U in, in the southern part of the US. I do live in Miami now, but I'm originally Canadian. So that's oh, really? wow. up in Canada. Um, I was born there. And yeah, I I probably not until about 10 years ago, Zarina, what I have shared so openly portions of my story as I do now. But the reason I do is because I'm a, you know, I love Simon Sinek's start with why. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's always kind of been my philosophy is to understand people's experience uh, because it, you know, how we show up our full selves are really informed by the lived experiences and at work, work experiences as well we've had. So for me, I was born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was exceptionally abusive to me. And I went in and out of the child welfare system. And I was very fortunate to be adopted out of that situation after a number of years and then raised by, you know, parents who were, you know, very loving. I certainly didn't have to be, deal with the abuse, but lower socioeconomic status. You know, my, my dad was a school janitor or caretaker. Uh, my mom a secretary. And it's interesting. I remember my, my, my mom and mom and dad are those that raised me. Julie is the woman that gave birth to me. And I remember she said to me at one point, I think I was probably 11 years old. I remember her saying, Tori, you need to do better than us. And for her, that meant by education, post-secondary education and vocationally. And um, she didn't have to tell me that at all because the I had be, been determined that I was going to be better than the biology, Julie and her world, um, and the circumstance with which I was raised into. And so I started working at age 11. My, I never had to worry about food insecurity. I always had clothes on my back. Those clothes came from Kmart. They didn't come from a brand name store, but I never had the opportunity to go on school trips. We didn't go on vacation. And for me to aspire to some of the things that my friends had, the, you know, the Sony Walkman, and I'm really aging myself as I say that. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I with you. I'm with you there. <laughs> good, good. Um, so I started working. I worked in a hair salon when I was 11, um, making appointments and, you know, cleaning and doing the cash and, and, and everything but cutting hair. And then uh, by 14, I actually became the assistant manager in the shoe store that I worked at. And I graduated at 16 and went to university and I worked full time and multiple jobs while I was throughout school. And then, you know, what I've sort of learned is 
the and part of the reason I tell this story is it was that early beginnings that has motivated me to be better than where I came from, uh, to drive hard. And I, I think at some point I felt like I had something to prove to the world. I, I'm no longer, you know, at, with that kind of lens or perspective, but I'm very driven to succeed. I enjoy a ton of challenge. And part of that has been um, challenging myself to learn new and different skills. So when I was in university, I worked for a bank and took probably every course I could um, from like, so I ultimately ended up with my securities license and ended up leading part of their discount brokerage operations. So that when I was graduating university with an intent on being a lawyer, uh, they offered me a promotion. And I took off a year before going to law school, I thought, because I ended up loving the business world and I never went to law school. I never relocated back to Western Canada where I had grown up and um, got recruited uh, several years after that to become um, an executive. I was 24 years old, a new mother. My son was only a few months old. I became the chief operating officer for an outsourced uh, a BPO company, business process outsourcing, because I had banking experience and they had large financial services clients and I'd been running large call centers. So it was a pretty big stretch role for me because I'd only been running operations. And then that role put me to lead every functional area of a business except for finance. But it's truly what set me up for my career from there, and which has been predominantly business to business, consulting, technology, um, and outsourcing services. And, and I've loved it. And I started speaking for conferences for work. And then about 10 years ago, I started sharing more of the personal story so that I could help inspire people, help them recognize that they can overcome the obstacles in front of them. But also because as I coach and mentor people to understand that their lived experience can can certainly help them and not be just purely a detriment or an obstacle for whatever they they view their version of success. Mm -hmm. Would you say that at this time, when you were 24, you were still striving to get out of this mindset that you were so strongly striving to get out of or and what brought you to this job? How did you how did you get this job? I am. Um, so I was recruited um, out of that job. Um, by a recruiter because I had like two of the many like most important skills they were looking for financial services experience I'd worked for two Canadian banks at that point and I'd run large call centers and the outsourcing was predominantly contact center at that point so the recruiter found me but I also think I attribute my why they hired me um, because I, there was lots of skills that I lacked at that point. So I hadn't run technology. I hadn't run HR. I hadn't run the, 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 the B2B sales, sales team before. But I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it, except when it comes to confidence. And so I showed up, you know, this very confident 24-year-old who presented much more mature than I was. And, you know, I've, I've, I, I, I sort of feel like I have this old soul because of the history I feel like I was forced to grow up a little faster than than others. And so I showed up with confidence. And the other thing is I, I learned how to describe the experiences that I'd had and how they could translate into the functional expertise I didn't have. And so that's one thing I often coach people to is, you know, you need to be a storyteller and you need to build the bridge for people to understand how your experience translates into that particular role, company or environment. And so that's why I was hired. But I did have an incredible sense of what we now talk about as imposter syndrome. 
I, as much as I showed up confidently internally, I was like, oh my gosh, can I actually, can I do this? How am I going to do this? And so I needed to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable. I needed to surround myself with a team that had the expertise that I didn't. Like really, when we talk about diversity and inclusion, it's not just in the way we think about it, gender and race and all those things, but like the diversity of experience that comes to the table. And so finding people that were smarter than me and had much more experience than I to build this amazing, strong team. And then also really lean in on, as I said, building the right kind of team and leadership, but the right kind of culture and environment, because outsourcing is not generally the destination um, you know, job for many people, new immigrants to the country or people who are in between jobs. So I needed to create an environment where people would stay as long as possible because it costs lots of money to, you know, to constantly be hiring and training people. And yes, I was actually still in that. I have something to prove to the world at 24. So it was about accumulating more experience, more seniority, more money, more wealth, all these things that I thought would mean something to the outside world changed very, you know, very much for me in my thirties when I started to settle into confidence in my own skin. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's really impressive. And and you managed to summarize, I can see how you're a motivational speaker. (laughs) You weaved it in so nicely, like a beads in a necklace. All right. So how, how does the story that you told yourself or Rather, how did you translate the story, what you now teach your corp- your private clients? How did you use your story in your first job and how are you using it now? Well, part of the reason I I shared this story is, again, I, I, I think it's critically important to just understand people, to build um, a really trusted relationship with people. And I think that comes through being incredibly authentic uh, and vulnerable. And so as I began to coach more and more people within my business, like business life, I realized I had to share some of that. And so, so I share it so that people can understand we all, you know, have faced some kind of adversity or challenge in our, in our lives. It doesn't have to be the same as mine, but how how can you change that? How can you change the mindset? So for me, it also um, was talking about the journey I went from learning how to be much more resilient in my in my youth, I actually remember my mom saying to me, she was like, Tori, she's like, stop, like, stop it. She'd forced me to sit down and talk. I remember for hours to try and understand where my thought processes or my actions, where was it coming from? So I actually attribute today, I'm incredibly self-reflective. And that goes back to my mother who forced me to be so. Um, but part of what she would, she would say that, because I was always kind of trying to push people away just because I was worried about getting hurt or worried about being rejected when you're the person who should care for you the most and protect you the most, your parents, your mother, and and my biological mother does what she did to me. Like that scarred me for a very long time. And so I had learned to be incredibly resilient, but not in a way that I would say is super healthy, right? Building these walls up around myself, you know, pushing people away before I could ever get hurt. And I had to learn how to develop a healthier way of being resilient. And for me, that came with, sort of this multi-step journey that I now share with people. So one is being really clear on what your goal or objective is. And that could be around a mental like state of mind. It could be losing weight. It could be about that next career 
um, you know, a role that you're seeking. It could be about the next client you're looking to sell, whatever the goal or objective is, like be really clear about that. And for some people, they need to have a vision board. I, I'm not one of those, but I know it works for others. I'll think it and I know what that's where I want to go. So that's kind of the first step for me always is just clarity around that. The next is that self-reflection, like being very hyper aware of my thoughts that drive some of the actions or feelings I have and understanding where it comes from. And then the next step in that is trying to model and take action against the thoughts, the actions, the language, you know, one step every day. But then the next part is like, give myself permission to fail. We're all perfect in our imperfections and we are going to stumble and fail, but then anchor back to what's my goal or objective. And as long as I'm making progress one step at a time towards that, then I know again, I'm, I'm achieving, you know, this, this sense of, of success. And I will also tell people like success. And I tell my own children because I think they, they look at me and it's created, um, some challenge for them and thinking that I expect a certain level of career success. And I, you know, I tell them, like I'll tell others, you define what that, that looks like for you for success. You, do you choo choose to be partnered? Do you want to move hierarchically up an organization, which people deem as success, but that, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And so I, I share all of this in this, this multi-step journey around that I've learned around resilience is a way to help propel me forward to be successful and be unstoppable, quite frankly. Um, you know, there's a, a quote by, you know, Anne Rand and it's, you know, it's, um, um, it's, it says, it's not, um, oh, it's not who's going to, Something about, it, you know, it's not what's going to stop me, but who's going to stop me, something along these lines, but basically are like I'll, that never letting anyone tell me how far and expansive I can go. I'm going to make that choice for myself. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that um, a, a lot of people on the journey to success actually have a problem creating this clear vision and knowing where they're going. It's, uh, I, I think it's the first and major roadblock. It's, it's what do I really want? and um, a lot of people are actually stuck at the point of chasing false ego-driven goals, like maybe what you were fighting with in your early 20s. Um, so when you meet such people, how do you help them clarify their vision for their lives? I, I talk a lot about, you know, following your, your passion. And I remember my, you know, my younger, and it's, so I, I say, I, I tell colleagues in business, but it's something I tell my own family. So my children, you know, this, I remember my younger one, um, Jordan asked me at age 14. Um, Jordan is now soon to be 19 and said, mom, like, what do you think I should do? You know, um, go to, for school and for work. And first of all, I was like, beauty, you have many years before you need to figure that out. But my advice is to follow your passion, you know, do the things that you love. And with that, the money should follow. And she said, no, 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 but really, what do you think? And I said, okay, look, I said, based upon what I know of my 14-year-old standing in front of me today, I could see you with a couple of paths. One is you could go be a special needs teacher um, because she has been, and I'll say she, I might use different pronouns. She was born a girl, but is, is starting to transition to male. So I'll use male pronouns now, but at the time she identified as a girl. So, you know, she, I said to her, I can see you being a teacher and working with special needs because she's been working with special needs kids since she was in kindergarten. She's babysat special needs kids and she's wonderful with them. I said, or I could see you going into sales, your ability to talk and influence others, particularly, you know, her older brother. I said, you could sell ice to Eskimos. And she said, well, which one makes more? 
And I was like, oh, beauty. Like I could tell, I could tell you one of those most likely probably makes more, but it goes contra to my advice of following your passion. And there's this Japanese philosophy, Ikigai, around doing, you know, what you like, what you're good at, you know, what you can be paid for doing and sort of weaving that all in. Mm -hmm. And so that's the advice for success that I, I give people. But if you've got, you know, um, luxury taste, then obviously you're going to need to choose to do something that earns you money to be able to afford some of those things. Whereas, you know, my, my older son, on the other hand, you know, he came home from college one day with like a hole in the bottom of a shoe. He's a skateboarder. I was like, oh, buddy, we should probably get you some new shoes. He's like, no, mom, I duct tape it. It's fine. Like, he really doesn't care for those things. And he said, look, all he, and he did tell me at one point, he's like, mom, I'm so proud of you. I'd won an award or something. And, and he's like, but you know, I, I don't want to be you. He's like, I, he pointed around our house. He's like, I'm fine with mediocrity. I don't need all of this stuff. He's like, I just want to have a wife and a house and a dog and children. And I was like, okay, buddy, but those do cost money. Um, at, at the time, <laughs> encouraging him to move forward. So, but I think people need to def define, define that. But what I will say also, as I recognize, we still need to put, you know, food on our table and support our family. So you, it might be a journey to achieve following your passion. And so there's, you know, the nine to five and there's your five to nine. And so here's this great opportunity. I have this saying that where, they, where there is conviction, there's capacity. So I will not accept excuses from people that there's not enough hours in a day. If you are working a job that you need to, to earn the money you need to support your family and yourself. Uh, and it's not aligned to your passion. There's the five to nine. There's the, what you do outside of those working hours where you create capacity to do the things you enjoy. And it could be the side hustle, right? You're just starting it, making a little bit of money. And you know, it's going to take a few years to grow the number of clients or the product line or whatever it is. And, and that can be a path as well. Like it doesn't come overnight. You know, mine, I'm fortunate. I became an executive very early, but to get clear on what I love doing and, you know, where I now would state, I want my legacy to be, that has changed, you know, over the years. And I've pivoted um, to the kind of impact that I want to have and the kinds of work and or work environment I want. And so it took me a long time to figure that, figure that out. And I think people should also be really comfortable with recognizing that we are all going to evolve and change over time. Uh, and, and so too might their version of success change. Mm -hmm. well, what is it that you're striving for right now? What is your current version of success? So a lot of my career, I've worked for these, you know, fortune 500 companies, most of which have been public companies where we're, you know, on the hamster wheel of quarter to quarter earnings and, you know, talking about, you know, revenue and profitability and, that is not going to be on any tomb. I'm, well, one, I'm going to donate my body to science. They can burn whatever's left. So there's not going to be a tombstone. But if there was, it's not going to talk about the sales or revenue or profit that I've earned. It is going to be about the impact I've had on all those that I've touched. And that impact might be different, you know, for, for the different areas. So there's going to be an impact in work, but it's, again, not about profit about profitability in dollars. It's going to be about growing talent, growing diverse talent within the organizations and creating the kind of culture and environment that we actually want to work in. Or it's going to be in my community around having impact around the things that mean a lot to me. Like I've sat on boards for the child welfare system. 
personal to me, having been a child from the child welfare system and helping raise money to create scholarships for those who remained in the child welfare system. It can be around diverse and underrepresented populations and helping support them and thrive. Uh, or it can be, um, you know, in the, you know, the gym or walking on the street and seeing someone looking lost or struggling and just saying, hey, like, can I help? Th that That's the legacy and the kind of impact like that, that, that makes me happy. I remember being in university and taking a philosophy course and debating whether altruism really exists or not, um, because we get something out of doing. Uh, and so I won't get philosophical on you, but, but for, for me, that's what I want to be known for. The legacy I lead is going to be around how I've made better the workplaces and the communities that I live in. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you use the same words, human-centered leadership or something similar. I had an online summit two years ago uh, called the New Game of Leadership, Human-Centered Leadership or something like that. So I know that you talk in your... Um, in your motivational speeches a lot about personal branding, about how to progress in your career, how to make it. And a large part of this personal branding is knowing people, knowing the right people, pulling the right strings at the right time. How has networking helped you or how, how, have, how have your interactions with other people helped you move and um, move towards your dreams? I am. Um... I spent a lot of time focused on networking and I encourage people to recognize that is part of our job. A lot of people will say, oh, I don't have enough time to do that. Well, no, that that is actually part of from a career perspective and personal growth perspective. It's critically important. So I'm not going to spend time on personal brand, but I do think you need to have a very strong personal brand foundation because it helps you then as you network. What I think is there's um, to be both incredibly organic around networking. A lot of people think there's two networks. There's like one for business and then there's the one you have personally. I'm going to tell you to dispel that myth. It's it's all life and you know it's all one large network. So to get really comfortable with the organic nature of that. For an example of that was um, many years ago, I was coaching my daughter's hockey team. And one of the mothers, she and I just kind of connected. We were sitting outside waiting for the girls to get dressed and, and come out of the change room. And I said, like, we should go grab, you know, coffee or lunch sometime. And we did. And she talked about the businesses that she had. And one of them, she said, I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to divest it. I'm going to sell it. It's not actually a space I'm super comfortable with, but I think there's, th there's some value to it. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. Six months later, I bought that company from her. Um, and so that was purely organic. Right, just by letting you know that nature and 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 being really open to where I'm going to meet people. Also, I had a client who I'd been having a very difficult time. She was, you know, one of the top executives at a large bank, and um, getting time one on one with her. And wouldn't you know, she was also a hockey mom. And you know, we met. So there was like that, you know. Or to I think I embarrass my husband um, now. Like I, I talk to strangers in in elevators. So that's kind of the organic nature. And not everyone is as extroverted as I am. So I recognize that you can have what I call electronic courage to start, which is sitting behind a keyboard using LinkedIn and other methods to initiate that from a place that's safer and then bring it into the real world. The next part of that is, um, I often use the phrase strategic intentionality um, with many things that diversity and inclusion, but very much from a networking perspective. And that is understanding the influencer network. 
um, whether it's, you know, B2C or I've spent mostly B2B. So there's a, you know, great books written by CEB. One is the challenger sale and one is the challenger customer. And challenger sale just talks about the different buyers and recognizing that, you know, their, their buying types and how you appeal to them. And the challenge customer is talking about much more of this um, consensus-driven approach in business uh, to making buying decisions. It was written many years ago. And at the time, I think it's something like five point, on average, 5.4 decision makers for every business purchase. And so recognizing who who are those influencers, like sure you can hit up procurement, but they're going to make a price price driven buy um, or safe safe buy in terms of risk of the, the, the vendor they're buying from. There's, you know, those who are going to buy because it makes them look good um, you know, as the business buyer or it serves the need for their, their customers. And so the strategic intentionality is understanding all of those various dynamics, whether it's a you're looking to get a new job. It's not just the hiring manager. Talking to others in the organization that can give you the institutional knowledge that could help you in an interview or who've had a very similar career path. Um, there's a book called um, Never Eat Alone. Uh, Keith Ferrazzi it was written many years ago. He, I will tell people, get, get the book. It's great. Or just get the kind of Coles Nose version online. Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote it, is a shameless self-promoting consultant. So when you read it, you kind of put, need to put that to the side. But he talks about some really amazing things. And he categorizes like the network in, you know, to these group A, B, and C buckets. That's, a, that's sort of the strategic nature of it. How do you stay connected? How do you follow up with that group? Funny enough, my husband jokes that it's always alone because what I choose to do from a networking perspective is, although I might connect in the digital world through LinkedIn or other way, uh, um, ways, um, now that we're on the other end of the pandemic, you know, back to in-person meetings, you do need to bring it into real life to the extent that you can, that you're in the same city, uh, et cetera, and, um, and get to know and meet people and understand what what makes them tick, what makes them drive. So that's the other thing around networking is I, from a place of Keith in the book says from a place of generosity and not greed. So I, you know, karmically will try and meet with people when people ask for my time, you know, just, I want to have a coffee meetup and I want to, or, or, or a virtual meetup and pick your brain. It, I say yes to most people. It might take a long time to get in the calendar because you never know who's connected to whom. And I hope that at some point my generosity and giving of my time, will when it, I need to, when I need them, build your network in, you know, in a time and place when you don't need it. So it's there for you when you, when you do, um, and then stay connected. I also think it's very easy to stay connected. I've got 30,000 followers on LinkedIn and wait, LinkedIn makes it very easy. They tell you when it's an anniversary, they've gotten a promotion, it's their birthday. But also what I choose to do is just when, when I'm at the gym and I'm on the treadmill and someone pops into mind, I quickly take my phone. It's a one-liner. Hey, you popped into my mind and I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? Right. Like that's just the way I've chosen to do it. Um, and then um, and it's be, worked incredibly well for me. And reality is almost all of the jobs I have ever had have come through recruitment or referral to me rather than having to actively search. Mm -hmm. So have mine. Yeah. My previous jobs have also come through networking. But um, um, have you been able to go back to your previous schedule, pre-pandemic schedule of meeting people in person? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I love it. One of the things that I, I learned very early on with having like all of these things, sitting on boards, you know, married, children, job is to, bl I block time for it. So I'm, I'm intentional about it. So block my calendar early morning so no one books me for an early meeting while I'm at the gym. Uh, I block 
time for me to respond to emails so that I'm not on back-to-back calls. And then I would always block off a long lunch hour um, so that I could make time to go and meet meet with people. And so, you know, I moved from New York to Miami two years ago. Um, I'm one of those like COVID transplants uh, and so I'm building up a network of people who live, live here. Uh, but definitely I'm starting to get back um, to that and even just doing it, you know, virtually to the extent that I can, you know, virtual happy hours. And when I travel, always making sure that I'm, I'm making some time to connect with people that I know in the, um, in the cities that I'm traveling to. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think of the statement that, uh, the pickup brainers are actually um, draining your energy or could be because it's like free consulting. So at some point, you know, yeah, it's an investment in karma, but does it really pay off in terms of expansion of energy? Uh, yeah. You know, so I said, I almost always say yes. I mean, I am, yeah. I am sort of mindful about that. And yes, I, I have had to say no, um, with the the following that I have, I need to try and you know be really respectful of of my time, my own mental health. Um, but I also think I, I'll pick up on that this notion of free consulting. There's these amazing like expert consulting organizations that get hired to go and find people that have expertise, and you get to set your hourly rate. Um, and mine is much higher than many others. They'll 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 say, hey, there's like a client who's got this. They they want to you know potentially call, consult with you, but your rate's higher than others. And I'm like. Nope. Like I I've gotten to this place for a reason. I've learned a lot. You're going to, you're going to pay for that. And so I tell people to understand your value and your worth um, and ask for it. You don't ask, you don't get. (laughs) Wonderful. Victoria Peltier, is there something that I've missed to ask you? Um. Not missed, but I, I told you one of my favorite quotes. And actually, I, I remember it from Anne Rand, and I remember it. it it's actually, it's not who's going to let me, it's who's going to stop me. That's her quote. But the other one is by George Adair. Um, and it's everything you've ever wanted lives on the other side of fear. And so I think that's that's really important. I think a lot of um, you know the success that we've defined for ourselves and that we want um, or the goals and objective, oftentimes what stops us is our own fear or insecurity. So I would encourage people to lean into the things that actually make you really uncomfortable because I think without um, that discomfort and that challenge, the growth and ultimately the success that you want won't come. Wonderful. How can people reach you for consulting, for um, coaching? The best way to get me, I have a, a personal website, which is victoria-peltier.com. It will take you out to all the social platforms I'm I'm on. You can find me there, my content, my speakers info, everything's there. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. 
And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.